Hello golfers, today's episode is brought to you by Trackman Golf. Today's episode is also powered by Acra Golf Shafts. Proudly Canadian, Acra Golf Shafts use only the highest quality materials to create the most innovative golf shaft designs for custom club fitting. No shaft company is more dedicated to the professional club fitter than Acra Golf Shafts. Go to www.acragolf.com to find a certified dealer near you. And also today's episode is brought to you by Superspeed Golf. Would you like to hit the ball 20 yards farther? With the Superspeed Golf training system, this can become a reality. Superspeed uses the scientifically proven methods of overspeed training to help increase how fast your body can move during your swing. This works with a set of three specifically weighted clubs used only three times per week, 10 minutes a session, following online training protocols. Join over 700 tour pros by getting your set at www.superspeedgolf.com. Use the code SHKEEN, S-H-K-E-E-N, to receive 10% off your order. Hello golfers, I hope you're all well. I wanted to thank you all for tuning in for the past few weeks. Um, It's been honestly great to see how many of you are enjoying the podcast and it definitely makes all of this work that we put into it um, super worth it. I also wanted to address um, the sound issue that we had last week and just apologize for that hiccup. We didn't catch the audio quality of our recording until the interview was done um, and it was just too late to redo it. And so hopefully that wasn't too bad for you, but I can promise you that this week the sound quality is much better. Today, we're going to hear from our good friend, John Sherman. John is the author of the best-selling book, 101 Mistakes Golfers Make and How to Fix Them. Um, He's also the founder of PracticalGolf.com, which is one of the most popular, uh, I guess you can call it improvement instructional resource golf websites on the internet. And uh, this interview is packed with some amazing insight and he and Cheyenne sit down and talk for a little over an hour. So hopefully you guys um, enjoy this and uh, learn a lot from it. So here you go. All right, John, um, the first thing I want to do is um, ask you to introduce yourself for the listeners because obviously you're not somebody who has his face plastered all over the internet, but at the same time, you run one of the bigger golf, uh, I don't know what you would describe as your website, a blog, an article page, um, a form of coaching that obviously is not necessarily through technical swing work. So. Uh, just give a little bit of a breakdown of what your website is and and how it's gotten so big because it really is big right now. Sure. Well, first off, thanks thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. You're so busy analyzing the entire golf world swing. We haven't spoken in a long time, so it's <laughs> I know good to, it's good it's good to hear your voice. Um, I mean the the cliff notes on practical golf is that I, I started the site about six years ago um, because I felt that the golf world was focusing too much on the golf swing, not to say it's not important. The golf swing is very important, but I felt that other topics um, were being ignored that I felt were important from a player's perspective. And I just started writing articles as, as from a player. I'm not a swing coach. I want to make that clear. And I, I really just started communicating on issues like strategy um, expectation management, how to practice effectively, and the mental side of the game. I would say those are like the four cornerstones of practical golf. And I guess that perspective connected with a lot of players. And I think a lot of people were probably looking for that information and couldn't find it. So I guess you could call the website a coaching resource. I'm, I'm here to point golfers at all levels in the right direction on 
pretty much any topic outside of the golf swing. Not to say I don't discuss certain things about the golf swing, um, but it, it's really a place where I want to help you manage your game and most importantly, find a way to become a happier golfer and, and a better golfer along the way. Um, so that, that's really my angle. I'm not coming at it from a swing instructor's perspective. I'm coming at it from a golfer. Right. And you are a pretty damn good golfer. I mean, for those listening, you finally got your handicap to in the positives pretty recently, right? Like last year, I think. This year, yeah. I, I think last year was the first time I got into plus territory. Um, this year in the spring, I had I had some really good rounds. So I think I got down to like a plus 1.5. I think I'm a zero now. So I, I am a scratch golfer. That That's something I always wanted to be, but I kept getting in my own way <laughs> for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the stuff you read on the site is really a lot of mistakes I've made in my own game and continue to make and, and ones that I witness in other golfers. Um, so I'm not here to tell you that I'm perfect at everything I do. Um, I make just as many mental errors and, and strategic errors as many other golfers. But my main theme is that I'm trying to get everyone to be incrementally better at these things. Not perfect, but you know, getting the right information in your hands to first of all, educate you and then, you know, put that into work on the course and get better over time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a decent player and I, I come from that perspective, but I also want to connect with what I would call the average recreational golfer. I mean, you kind of just said it there in that answer. That's pretty much the basis of your whole website, right? Is the idea of not having to be perfect in order to reach your goals. Yeah. I think, um, when we talk about managing expectations, um, and that's, a topic that bleeds into every other topic on my site, whether it's practice, strategy, whatever. Um, I think a lot of us have led each other to believe that there's this version of better golf for you that doesn't look the way you think it does. And, And for example, like I always wanted to know what it was like to become a scratch golfer. And the few times that I would play with these guys, um, or women, I, you know, I, I always assumed they were firing at pins and making like six, seven, eight birdies around. And what I ended up seeing was just very steady, boring golf. Um, you know, balls not going out of bounds, not duffing chips, you know, just a lot of greens hit, two putts, maybe a few birdies here or there. Um, and I think a lot of other golfers fall victim to those myths as well, whatever their goal is, if they want to go from a 15 handicap to a 10, whatever it is. I think they have this version of what that looks like in their head that's way harder than it actually is. Not to say it's not difficult, but um, the way this shows up on the course is that when you hit a lot of golf shots that are actually reasonable outcomes for your skill level, you see players getting angry at themselves. And that can affect the rest of the round in a number of ways, their mental uh the way they're approaching the game from a mental perspective, they can make strategic mistakes if they're upset. Um, so I'm here to kind of reshape what your version of good golf looks like and give you reasonable ways to get there. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. And from a, from a coaching perspective on my end, I mean, you, I'm sure you're well aware, but some people aren't that like the amount of 15 to 25 handicappers that work with me, that will hit a seven iron, let's say, when they're practicing and it goes to like 15 feet and they look disgusted. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> if you knew how often like tour players aren't hitting it to that distance, like on the reg, 
why are you so pissed off by a shot that's actually above what your standard actually should be for a shot of that distance? Yeah, and they'd be gaining strokes on a tour player if they hit a seven iron to 15 feet. Right. Um, one of the great ways that I and many other coaches try to reshape people's expectations is showing them uh, tour statistics, um, specifically the proximity ones, because now we have shot length and you can see what's actually going on if you look for it. And the one I always bring up, I'm a broken record on this, is the 100 to 125 yards in the fairway proximity of a tour player. And I think the best every year is around 15 feet and middle of the pack is around 20 feet. So, um, you know, as, as good as these players are, and they are ball striking machines, they can't put the ball where they want. And that's an important lesson to understand for a number of reasons. Um, but most importantly, like you said, you don't want to have someone who's on the course and they're 150 yards away from the green and they hit it to 35 feet and all of a sudden they're angry at themselves. Like that's a great golf shot. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of what I'm doing is trying to undo either, you know, what we see on TV, I think watching pro golf is, is, you know, obviously it's fun and entertaining, but it also kind of gives us a false reality of how these players are actually performing because you're really seeing the best shots from the players who are playing well at that moment. You're not seeing, you know, the guys and girls who are missing the cut and shooting 77s. So um, I'm trying to peel back the layers on, on what better golf actually looks like. And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of get it from the TV perspective, right? Because you don't want to turn on the television unless you're an actual golf junkie like we are who like really studies the game hard. I mean, a casual recreational fan of the sport does not want to turn on the television and see guys in T90 in a tournament hitting their sandwich into the bunker nonstop. But at the same time, that is really a, the reality of of what's going on, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, if you look at the, I don't do it too much, but I, because I don't want to focus on who's playing badly. But, you know, if you look at the bottom scores of like people who miss the cuts of PGA Tour events or Corn Ferry or LPGA events, like they're not really shooting great scores. Like they, they put some real duds up there. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, players that if you played with them, they would like literally blow your mind. So um, even at that level, the game can take someone who's a plus five, six, plus seven handicap, you know, someone who could fall out of bed and shoot a 62 um but even on their bad days they're completely dumbfounded by the game and you don't see that unless you know you're watching a major and you unfortunately see a meltdown or something like that a leader but they're like you said no one's really interested in watching the players who are going to miss the cut um it's just not good tv okay so let's start off with a really hot topic the famous word of consistency because i personally hate that word <laughs> I can I can under I can understand getting the idea of being more consistent. I think that is certainly an attainable goal is to be less inconsistent, right? But people's perspectives on what consistently actually is when it relates to scoring on the golf course, I think is very flawed. And obviously your entire website is based on this idea too. So can you clarify what exactly is the range of consistency of players and their scores to break down like why they think incorrectly? Well, I think it, it's relative, you know, any concept I talk about in golf is, is relative because as we know, there's so many different skill levels and scoring levels in this game. So if you take a PGA tour player, um, and you look at their scores for the year, 
you're likely going to see from their best to worst round, I don't know, maybe a 15 to 20 stroke differential. And that, you know, could be a result of like a really windy day or something like that. So you could have a player who shoots a 63 and then even Dustin Johnson, but would he shoot at um, the Memorial? I think he went 81 or something like that an 80, 80, 82 or something. like. Yeah. And then literally, (laughs) what was it? Weeks later, he had probably one of the hottest stretches of golf I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so this happens at the pro level, but then when you take it to a more quote unquote normal golfer, who's a 15 to 20 handicap, you know, it's not uncommon for a player like that to go out there and, and maybe if they play well, they're going to shoot in the mid eighties. And then, you know, they, they, they could be shooting in the hundreds when they don't play well. And that, that is the part of the game that mystifies everyone at every level, even myself is that one day you can go out there and things feel easier. You know, there's just some days where your mechanics are probably in a better um, state or you're just feeling good about your game and and, and you're going to shoot a better score. And then there are those days that you're struggling. And those are really the ones that I focus on for people who want to get better is that I want to help you find a way to turn that hundred into a 94 because I believe that that's, when you're talking about getting better at golf, it's more about removing the big errors than it is achieving these hero shots. You know, the ones that we all want to hit next to the pin tapping and birdies, they just don't exist. Um, you know, any, anyone outside of a five handicap is making less than half of half a birdie around on average. Um, but what they are doing is they're making a lot of double bogeys or worse. Right. So it's like, so, the, it's like the double chips or the OB balls off the tee. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, you can call them skill errors. You can call them strategic errors. Like they, they I think they show up in different forms mm-hmm. and one of my rallying calls, and I've gone through this transformation in my own game is okay. When I play well, I know what scores I can expect and maybe I can make those a little bit better, not much. Um, I would say the main difference in my game going from someone who was perpetually like a four to seven handicap for a long time, um, it was really figuring out a way to turn around where I was going to shoot maybe like an 83 into a 77 or a 76. And there's a lot of ways to do that. I think a lot of it's through just mental fortitude, grit, um, just not giving up and, and committing to going through your process and picking smart targets, no matter how badly things are going. Um, a lot of it could be technical flaws. So someone needs to see an instructor like yourself and they might, they might just need some help with their swing. Um, but no matter what, if you do get better at that, um, you're still going to have that range of scores where you might, your best score might be a 75 and your worst score might be a 90 or a 95. And that's just the way it is about the game. You'll never avoid that. So that kind of leads us to another thing, which is the infamous two-thirds rule. That's a huge article on your website. I even mentioned this beforehand that I wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, obviously, you don't need to be perfect to reach your goals. This is like a huge quote about about your page. So explain what the two-thirds rule is, um, why it's so important, and really, um, you know, how it it carries on into golfers when they're playing around at golf. So I think the overarching theme of the article is that um, no matter what level of golf you're looking to achieve, uh, uh, you know, the best version of it does not require perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, I've played a lot of golf 
you know, with random people on public courses over the years, I've played a lot competitively. I've logged hundreds of tournament rounds with some really good players, professional players, really elite amateurs. Um, I play a lot with a guy at my club who used to play professionally. He's still a plus six. Um, I've still yet to see someone, you know, really put it all together, meaning like if you're dividing up the game into three sections, your T game, your approach game, and we can call it a hundred yards and end game. Mm-hmm. I, I really haven't seen anyone conquer all three phases of those game of the game, even myself in my best rounds. Like it's just, I don't see it as something that's possible or something that you should even strive towards. So I guess the main theme of the article is that I call it the two thirds rules because to play your best golf, I think you really only need to do two out of three things really well. So let's say you have a hot putter one day and you drove it really well, but let's, you know, maybe you weren't as sharp with your irons and you missed a bunch of greens, you know, driving it well, put you in a decent position. So you were closer to the green. Um, and if you did miss the green, perhaps your putter saved you. Um, so you're still able to shoot a good score. So you can create any version of that scenario. Let's say it's great iron play and great putting, but poor driving. Um, I still think you can put up, some of your best scores only doing two out of three things well. And then working backwards, you know, one of the main lessons I want people to come away with is that one out of three is okay too. The real problem is you want to find a way to go from zero to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that can come in a number of different ways. It could be again, fixing technical flaws in your swing. Um, it could be practicing more effectively. It could be choosing smarter targets, um, or it simply could be just having a more positive attitude on the golf course. You know, when we talk about going from very poor golf to not so bad golf, a lot of what I see and what I used to do in my game more is just, you know, you see golfers that start off poorly and by the fifth or sixth hole, they've given up on the day. And, you know, once you've made that decision mentally, you know, nothing's going to save you. Um, you're probably going to be, you know, out of your mental framework. Perhaps things are going too quickly. Um, you might get more aggressive with your, um, with your targets because it's kind of like that gambling on tilt scenario where if things are going poorly on the blackjack table, you start betting more erratically. I think that happens in golf. Um, so again, the real battle of getting better is when you don't have your best stuff, what can you do to save those rounds? Um, and turn those double bogeys into bogeys. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but that's, you know, that's how you go from like a 12 handicap to an eight handicap or whatever version you want to go from. A lot of it is about that. And I think, you know, people who are passionate about my site, that's really the main message I get from people is like, oh, you helped me um, readjust my expectations and my demeanor on the course. And it really changed my scores. Um, and it's not always that simple, but it can be for a lot of players. Before we dive into some of the articles, um, that obviously have taken off on your website. Do you want to talk about a little bit, your own evolution as a golfer through the website? Like what areas of your game have gotten significantly better since you started your page to the point where you're now in those positive handicaps where you said you were ranging between like four and seven. Yeah. So, um, I would say definitely uh, driving the ball. Um, I used to be someone who would just drive the ball all over the golf course. And, you know, I'd show up one day having no clue where it was going. And there was a lot of reasons for why that was happening. And then 
through working on the site and, you know, meeting different people with different expertise in the golf world, um, I figured out some things with equipment. I'm very close with, you know, one of the best club fitters in the industry. So, you know, we got a shorter driver shaft for me. We got the right head that helped tighten my dispersion. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a lot of experimentation on launch monitors. Um, so I've figured out that for my swing tendencies, which (laughs) you're, you're intimately aware of, you've seen my swing and it's a little unorthodox to say the least. Um, I've figured out on launch monitors that um, getting the right T height and ball position helped me tremendously. So I have a very in to out swing path. And I now know that, you know, teeing the ball up probably higher than most people and really far up in my stance helps neutralize my swing path and gets that angle of attack a bit more positive, which helps as well. Um, And also another thing is just working on impact location. You know, I've done the, the foot spray drill a million times and I've just figured out a way to strike the ball on the face more consistently. And that obviously helps with accuracy. Um, so I would say I went from becoming what I would call a terrible driver of the golf ball to someone. Now it's like I, I go on the course confident with my driver. And that was, you know, I hope it continues that way. But that took a good three, four five years to sort out. Um, interacting with a lot of different coaches, like someone like Scott Fawcett, he convinced me that I had to stop avoiding my driver and embrace it. And that was really one of the big things that changed. Um, and then I would say the second thing is really putting. Um, I was a very poor putter for my skill level and I learned aim point. Um, I got a new putter. I, I switched to a different grip style. So I worked on putting a lot and that's something that I don't view as a deficiency in my game anymore. Um, so those are the two things I would say that went from weaknesses to either strengths or moderate strengths. And I was always a decent iron player, so that was never really an issue for me. It was just on the greens and off the tee. Which again, fall right under your category of the two thirds rule, where it's like the two areas that were weaker, you got better. And all of a sudden now the game's all coming around. Yeah. And, and that's, um, and that, the, the beauty of golf is that that can happen for any level of player relative to what skill they started at and what they're going to. So um, you might have someone who just struggles and I'm sure you see this all the time in your lessons where um, they just can't get the ball off the tee in a number of ways. They can't control the face. So directionally it's a problem or they can't strike it that well. And, you know, they're maybe hitting some worm burners out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just trying to get someone to go from that level to someone who could get the ball in the air consistently and, and maybe tighten that dispersion a bit. So it doesn't have to look like this amazing transformation. Um, it, it can be incremental, small progress along the way. You said that uh, Scott made you embrace the driver. I saw yes. that one of the articles on your website actually that came out not too long ago is this idea of avoidance is not a good strategy, which I guess falls right under that. Yep. Um, you want to talk about the article? Why is avoidance not a good strategy for golfers? So I think anyone who plays the game knows this, that no matter what, like all the different courses you play, all the different days you play, there's all these versions of your game that show up. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people will try and avoid these like deep fears that they have about the game. So for me, when I first spoke to Scott, I was like literally doing everything I could to avoid hitting my driver. I was like, Oh, I'm hitting hybrids off a lot of, you know, I hit my hybrid. Great. 
Um, there's a lot of holes where I'm just like laying back and I think I can hit it straighter that way. And he, he just stopped me. He's like, you're never going to be the player you want to be or compete in any kind of tournament unless you hit that driver. Um, and obviously he has a lot of data to back that up. And I did my own kind of research myself. Um, so that area for me in particular was something that I just had to decide like, okay, I'm going to figure this driver thing out. I'm going to practice. I'm going to adjust my equipment. I'm going to embrace it more on the course, which, you know, some days you won't hit it well and you'll want to keep it in the bag and you have to resist that temptation. Um, so avoidance can show up in a number of ways on the course. Like you'll know a lot of golfers, like on par fives, they're like, oh, well, I hit it much better from 100 yards than 50 yards. So I'll always lay back on par fives with the approach shot. And if you look at the numbers, um, that's that's really not a great strategic play. Like golf is a game of proximity, and if you if you are so bad with your wedge from 50 yards, like you're you're gonna have to work on that and get it to the point where it's a reasonable shot for you. Um, but there's no reason to lay back that far for that perfect number. I think that's a myth that's always existed. Um, so there's a number of things that we do as golfers to avoid certain parts of our game. But I guess the main message is that you're not going to get better if you just kind of lock them away in some dark room. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're, you're going to have to address them at some point. And that doesn't mean you need to spend 20 hours a week. Um, it, it just means that, you know, you might have to maybe get a few lessons or maybe just practice those parts of the game. Like I can't tell you how many golfers I say, well, what's the worst part of your game? And they're like, Oh, it's my chipping around the green. I'm like, do you practice it? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, <laughs> maybe spend 10 minutes of your time during your practice sessions on that. Find a technique you can work with that just gets the ball on the green and avoids that, you know, that chunk or that skull. Um, that's half the battle for a lot of players is just giving some time and thought to it. Okay, so that's good that you're mentioning these things because I see that every single, uh, I would say probably on a week or biweekly basis is this idea of, I like hitting my sand wedge, so I <laughs> always aim for the 100-yard stick, right? Yep, yep. Now, either the player is going to hit the ball really poorly and not even get to the yardage that they're intending, which is totally fine because that's the name of yes. the game. Or, you know, if I'm aiming for 100 yards and let's say I, I have to hit, I don't know, whatever, a five iron to get there and I top it, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm a 20 handicap golfer and I'm trying to get to that 100-yard stick and I top my five iron. Well, now that ball goes 40 yards. Now I still have whatever the case may be, a pitching wedge left into the green. I didn't even achieve my goal, right? Yep. Whereas if they're aiming for the 50-yard stake and they have a longer club in their hands or they're aiming for just let's get as close to the green as possible, which is always the better play. Um, and now even if they hit the ball poorly, the ball obviously still goes further for the most part and they have a shorter club into the greens, it ends up being better for them anyways, right? Which falls into this misconception of, of uh, aligning to a club, even if they think they're going to be better at 100 yards, and that's not true, be even beyond that, right? Yeah, and to be honest, you like teed up probably like my number one piece of strategic advice that I give most golfers when you talk about like the shot they tried to hit versus the shot that showed up mm -hmm. um, is really on approach shots. Um, I tell most golfers, and this is not for everyone in every situation. This is, you know, a general statement that I think applies to let's say 70 to 80% of golfers. I know that if most of these players stopped aiming at the pin 
on their approach shots and just adjusted and played for the back yardage of the green and aimed at the center of the green. Um, I can't tell you how many emails and messages I've gotten for players I've convinced to do that where they lowered their handicap. And it gets back to the point you just made about that layup shot. You know, if you were playing, let's say you had 140 yards to a pin that was on the front of the green and, you know, you had your range finder out and you just assumed up, oh, I'm going at the, this front right flag. That's 140 yards. The front of the green's 135 yards. And let's say the back is 158 yards. So a portion of those shots, because you chose to aim at the green, at the pin and the yardage of the pin, most of them and I could back this up with millions of shots from, from shot tracking companies. Most of them are going to come short of that. Mm-hmm. And you know this as a swing instructor is because why is that? They're not striking it as well as they think. Um, there's a number of, maybe they have so, poor ground so, contact. So, yeah. So this is my opinion on that. And then you'll give me your data that you have. Sure. Number one, um, most golfers who come take lessons with me whenever i ask them how far they hit a certain club first of all their information is wrong they think they hit the ball farther (laughs) than they do in reality they're probably carrying it five to ten yards shorter on average on their better strikes and the ball's rolling out so they're not necessarily taking that into consideration when they tell me that their yardage so they're not telling me their carry numbers oftentimes they're telling me their total numbers as a starting Mm -hmm. point number two they will historically tell me the yardage of their best shot of that club, which happens, and I guess this leads into your comment, right? Which happens on a very, very small percentage of the time. Yeah, it's so, probably like a one out of 20 scenario. Right, so a 25 handicap comes and sees me. I go, how, how far do you hit your seven iron? And he goes, let's say 160. Well, it's like, well, how often are you actually hitting at 160? And then, you know, if you actually look at the data, it's like 5% of the time. And then, you know, not to say that you can, you always want to rely on poor strikes, but oftentimes, you know, if you're striking it poorly 19 out of 20 times and the ball's coming up 20 yards short of that number, maybe you should stop aiming for the long ball and start aiming for what the actual average is of those shots, right? And not the yeah. average of your good shots, the average of how, are, how far are you actually hitting it, good and bad shots combined. And that's why um, I've done a number of articles where I'll hit like 30 shots on my launch monitor and show people like the dispersion circle. I'm sure you show that to your students on your track, man. Mm-hmm. And people are always blown away by it because, you know, let's say I'm hitting to 165 yard target. Um, and I'm, I'm decent at accessing the center of the club face, but still, you know, I'm going to miss hit it. And a certain number of those shots are going to come up short. And then when we talk about that's, that's front to long dispersion, but there's also a left to right dispersion as well. Um, So those are two things you have to consider for approach shots. And the reason why I tell a lot of golfers start with the framework of the back yardage and the center of the green is because I know that no one can control their left to right dispersion perfectly. But more importantly, when you talk about that front to long dispersion, the likelihood for most golfers is that they're not going to strike it too well. <laughs> you're not going to airmail yeah. the green most of the time because you flushed your seven iron. The likelihood is you're going to miss hit it a little bit and it might go 10 to 15 yards shorter. Um, so if anyone wants to lower their scores, and I don't love traditional golf stats, but greens in regulation, I still believe is the gold standard for any golfer who wants to improve. You just want to get the ball on that putting surface a few more times around. and the the great piece of data that i got from game golf which was one of the original shot tracking companies these are companies that track real shots on the golf course um the the first thing that they found was that 
I think it was 94% of golfers were missing the greens on the short side on average. Um, so any, anyone who plays the game, most of their misses are coming before the green. And I think it's because of a lot of the reasons you discussed. They don't know their numbers. They don't strike it as well. Um, so that's why, you know, when we talk about technology, I think tracking your shots on the course, maybe getting a session on a launch monitor with an instructor like yourself, um, those are ways to benchmark your progress and realize that, well, hey, I don't hit my 7-iron 165. I really hit it 155. Yeah. And then make that adjustment on the course. And it's such a basic thing. I know it sounds too good to be true, but that's one of the the ways that you become a smarter, um, more, I don't know you call it disciplined, cerebral, whatever you want to call it, kind of golfer. But that's that's one of the ways to lower your scores um, with just a small change on the course and then having the discipline to stick with that plan throughout the round. And I would say that one huge factor involved, which is a kind of a mental hurdle that people need to get over is just plain and simply their ego. People do not want to say that they hit their seven iron 10 yards shorter than they could tell people they hit it. Yeah. And, and that's, again, like comes back to like, I love being able to benchmark yourself because most golfers have a very hazy uh, memory of their rounds or even their range sessions. They're not really paying attention to what's going on. Um, and I, I think that for every golfer, I always tell them that all the clues to your game are hiding in your round. Like if you go back and think about what you did wrong, what you did well, um, if you have technology to help you with that, like a, a system like Arcos or ShotScope, um, that can track all these shots for you and show you a lot of top, top level statistics. Um, that's a way to get like the truth about what's going on and help you remove that ego. Um, because I think our minds play tricks on us a lot of the times in this game. I couldn't agree more, man. And that's from my own personal experience of dealing with these players because you see it every day. Um, and it's amazing the amount of, I guess, data there is like page websites like yourself to support really the very obvious facts of what's going on. And yet people are still so caught up into these myth busters or sorry, these myths, I should say, we're going to do a myth buster segment. Um, these myths, that the whether it's the golf channel has laid on them a long time ago that has stuck or whatever a friend telling a friend something that they think is true that couldn't be further from the truth so is there any other kind of myths that you hear oftentimes that kind of bothers you that you kind of point them into a certain direction of your website to say like no that's not true um i mean like where do you start um (laughs) yeah i mean a lot of uh, i mean a lot of things about i think putting is, is is really one of the things that gets people all tangled um and i'm actually happy that they're showing putting percentages on on pga tour broadcast now um you know the, the line in the sand i always say is eight foot putts of 50 percent make rate for a pga tour player um so you could rest well assured that for an amateur golfer it's going to be far below that um <laughs> yeah but you know, I, I've found, and again, coming from someone who wasn't such a great putter to now someone who I would say I'm an okay putter now, I'm decent. Um, I've just found that I think better putting is more about speed control and limiting three putts for most players than it is about sinking. Everyone wants to, oh, I wish I could make more 15 footers. And it's, you know, I think that's a 20% putt for a PGA Tour player. You know, it's just not realistic um, to expect those to go in. Not that you don't want to step up to the putt thinking you're not going to make it. But again, golf is a game of proximity and most players are giving up 
strokes on the greens because they can't control their speed. Um, perhaps they get too aggressive on those 15 footers trying to make them, which is actually another myth. Um, you can't jam the ball in the hole. The faster the ball is approaching to the hole, the smaller you're making it. Um, so speed control I view is like the glue that holds everything together in putting. Um, so yeah, I think putting is a, a different game inside of golf that a lot of people just never really had a, a full handle on what to expect. And I would say like, just, you know, golfers measuring their putts per round and stuff like that is, is their success or failure? Like that's a huge myth right there. It, it's, it's more about, um, limiting three putts. And then when you're inside of 10 feet, like, all right, maybe making a few more of those than you used to, like, those are realistic expectations you have. A guy goes up onto the green, tries to jam a 15 footer into the hole. He leaves it six feet by the hole. And now for him, that's probably a 50, 50 shot at making it. If yeah. Below yep. Standards. He's getting up and down now from 15 feet in two and a half strokes, which should never happen, right? Right there is a half shot you can save every time. Yeah, it's it's there's these small little things you can do over time. And and really what you're trying to do is just stack the odds in your favor over the long run if you do want to get better. Um, so these little decisions here and there throughout the course, you know, these all add up. That that might be the difference between your 85 or your 92. Um that's I try and address all these topics separately, not to inundate people with too much information, but just at least give them a more realistic, truthful explanation of each part of the game so that when they're on the course, um, they can make a smarter decision, but more importantly, not beat themselves up for an outcome that was actually pretty reasonable for them. And that's really all it is at the end of the day is a guy getting, just think about this, right? It's just somebody getting pissed off about something that they should not be pissed off about. Hey, again, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm above all of this because I'm not. I can think of many rounds over the last couple of months where, you know, maybe I wasn't as patient as I could be and I hit a shot that was reasonable for my skill level and I had maybe a negative reaction to it. What I try and do is put that behind me as quickly as possible versus stewing over it for the next few holes. Um, I think I'm better at that now as a golfer, but um, you can't control your mind completely. You're just looking to get a little bit better at it. Um, but in terms of other myths we can bust, um, this, this driver versus three wood article I had a few weeks ago was one that kind of blew up. Um, we could certainly discuss that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. What um, was, what was so, the basis of the article as a starting point? Okay. So, so I think one of the stories that I believed in stories golfers always used to tell each other over the years as you know off the tee you want to be as safe as possible and the shorter club will keep you in play and the fairway more you know when you have a different difficult driving hole right and um <laughs> it, it it just you know again there's always exceptions in golf i mean henrik stenson had a wonderful it still has a wonderful career hitting three wood off the tee i would say he's um, an outlier because exactly so he's he's he, absolutely an outlier he's probably dealing with some mental hurdles on the driver too that's affecting him exactly and and again there's always exceptions to the rule for a number of reasons but when we when we look at the aggregate data um shot scope um i was able to get some stuff from them which they're a scotland-based company who tracks you know a lot of golfers use their gps system to track their shots on the course and i asked them i'm like can you give me um how far players are hitting their driver on average versus their three wood and then also tell me you know, how often are they hitting fairways and as you would expect most golfers were hitting their driver about i would say 20 to 30 yards farther on average as you go through the handicap levels. Mm -hmm. 
where it gets interesting is, is the fairway percentage. Is the fairway percentage. So I'll, I'll have the table in front of me. This is from a two handicap, eight handicap, 14 handicap, 20, and 26. Um, when you take all of them, we're within 1% of each other. The three wood was about 1% <laughs> more effective at hitting the fairway than the driver. So basically you hit, you'll hit one more fairway every seven rounds. Yeah, maybe. And, 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 but the, the, the bigger takeaway on that was that you're also giving up distance. And traditionally we've thought about the tee shot game. I think we gave too much weight to the lateral dispersion, the left to right, whether you're hitting the fairway or not. What we didn't take into account was is that when you do hit that shorter club and you're hitting it 30 yards less, well, that's actually worth a third of a stroke to most players. So when you take your three wood out of the bag versus your driver, and let's say there's a 30-yard difference between the two, you're already behind the eight ball in terms of, of strokes. If you hit your driver in the fairway and you hit your three wood in the fairway, that's a third of a shot advantage with the driver. Um, and what's interesting is when golfers hit in the, in the light rough, um, shot scope found it was only an equivalent, um, penalty, a third of a stroke. So the takeaway being that if you hit your driver in the rough further and your fairway would in the, um, in the fairway, there's no difference. There is no difference, but the kicker was that you don't hit your fairway. You don't hit fairways as much as you do with the three wood. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. I, I talked to a club fitter, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but his he wasn't shocked by any of this. And really, it's because modern drivers have huge heads. Um, they have two to three times the MOI of a three wood, meaning that's a that's a MOI is moment of inertia. It's a yeah. measure of forgiveness. So when you hit a driver off center, it resists twisting at impact more than a three wood does by three so times the amount almost almost some of them two to three times so if you hit it on the toe with your driver because of gear effect it will impart some hook spin on it and vice versa for the heel um, if you do that on the driver you're penalized less in terms of accuracy than with the three wood um, so he wasn't surprised by this because three woods aren't designed to be hit off the tee they're designed to be hit from the fairway they just happen to be able to be used off the tee as well whereas the driver that club is exclusively used uh, or designed to be used off the tee um, so he wasn't surprised by this at all and then i did a test of my own where i hit 30 shots on a launch monitor with my driver and three wood i set up a really hard firm fairway that was 25 yards wide and i hit it more with my driver than my three wood <laughs> isn't that <laughs> I hit amazing it like 35 yards farther yeah, I mean, again, that those are my tendencies. Some golfers might have different results. You know, you have to test on your own. I don't want to say this applies to everyone, but you know, that shot scope data was based on millions of shots and it was clearly showing that golfers of all handicap levels are not more that accurate, much more the accurate yeah. off the yeah, cuz it, it it is it's a harder club to hit um because the face is small. Like pro golfers are excellent at hitting the center of the face and they can absolutely use a 3 wood off the tee. But I think amateurs and recreational players struggle more with that because they can't access the center of the face as much, and it's much smaller. So basically just rib drivers always. So I, I think the strategy that I've learned from people like Mark Brody and Scott Fawcett off the tee is, is that you want to advance the ball, the ball as far as you can while avoiding the big trouble. And what I mean by big trouble is water trees, hazards and trees. Yeah, you know, water hazards. Um, I view a successful tee shot as if you hit it 
as far as you usually can and you have a clear path to the green. If you're, if you're in the light rough and you got a clear path to the green, great. That's a successful tee shot because you haven't lost that many strokes. If you right. hit it in a fairway bunker or in the trees or in a penalty hazard, that's when you start damaging yourself. And that plays into managing your expectations of understanding what is a good shot versus what isn't. Exactly. So when I think about that, when I tee off on holes, my number one priority is to hit driver. But if I know that hitting driver maybe brings a cluster of fairway bunkers into play or a hazard or some trees, the, the situation that would require me hitting it um, shorter, then I would choose perhaps the three-wood or hybrid off the tee because in that situation, I'm looking to limit my distance. I'm not looking to hit it straighter. I'm just looking to avoid that big trouble. Um, so that's kind of a, a framework that most golfers should be operating off of is that you do want to hit it as far as you can, but like even in Brody's book, Every Shot Counts, he found that aiming away from an out of bounds, even if you're aiming at the rough on the other side of the hole would result in a lower average score. Because you want to, it's that big trouble that is really, like I said, the double bogeys and worse, it's avoiding that off the tee, that's the key. So I, um, I guess the main points that I've gotten so far from you based on your own studies, kind of a combination with Scott and these other people is that number one, People don't understand how far they hit the ball. So aim to the back of the green and aim to the center of the green because you're not good enough to control your dispersion sideways. Correct. Um, manage expectations, both in terms of what's defined as a good putt and a good shot into the green. And hit driver when you can while keeping the ball visually in play where you have a clear shot to the green without having to avoid an obstacle of some sort. Yes. And again, that, those are all things that can be very easily done. Yeah, and I want players to get a little more analytical about their own game and do their own homework. Like I, I, I tell this to everyone, it's like I can't do this for you because every golfer's situation is unique. Um, you know, some players, for whatever reason, maybe they just can't hit the driver at the moment and they do need to see someone like you and get that fixed. You know, someone comes to me and says, well, my dispersion of my driver is 100 yards. And I'm like, well, I can't help you there. No strategy in the world is going to fix that you need to figure out the technical flaw that's causing that. Right. Well, um, I, will, I will say this, though, is that Scott Fawcett did a test with Jason Day, I want to say in 2015 or 16, yep. where he had him hit 50 balls on the range, and he was third in strokes gained off the tee that year, gaining 0.8 shots per round, which is quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And he had about a 70 to 75-yard wide dispersion with his driver. Yep, and that's that's a number that kind of rings true with most elite amateurs and pro golfers. That it's like usually like 65, 70 yard. I, I've done a number of tests with my driver where I'll hit 30 or 40 or 50 shots, and that's the number. I, if I'm hitting it well, maybe it'll be like 62 yard dispersion. If I'm hitting it poorly, it'll be like in the low 70s. Um, I mean, it, it, it's no one and, and scott has said this a number of times is that you're out there with a shotgun not a not a sniper rifle and you need to plan accordingly mm -hmm. um that's why he is against things like chasing angles and fairways because no one's good enough to place the ball on one side of the fairway with a dispersion that wide you have to plan for that's planning for your best outcome you have to plan for your worst outcome to avoid those big mistakes um, right. So I think that's a general framework everyone can start with and then kind of adjust with your own results. 
So what kind of ways would you um, advise people to start implementing some of these thoughts? Like, is it just you would get them to go out and just think about these things immediately? Or is there a way you would approach it? Um, so the difficulty about what I do is, is that obviously I'm doing all of this remotely. I'm writing articles on a site and people are reading them. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of an imperfect scenario. Um, I always tell people if they do want customized advice, then they're going to have to work with the coach directly. Um, so I, I do add a little bit of caution to my site or anyone else, or any other resource online, whether it's you or someone else is like, don't consume too much too quickly. Like, I think one of the biggest fallacies of any golfer, and I used to do this as a kid, I would read all these golf books. And then I would just be like, oh, this is great. I have all the knowledge. Now I'm going to go out on the course and I'm going to do this. And then it would be a spectacular disaster. Um, and the reason being is because I had too many thoughts going through my head on the course. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this mental technique and do this swing thought. And it was just too much. Um, so I try and tell people that you have to kind of tackle things one at a time. Like if you just said to yourself, okay, I'm going to stop aiming at the pin and, and try this backyardage center of the green thing. Just try that out and see what happens because I know what's going to happen. There's going to be plenty of shots where you choose the right target and you have a horrible result. And you're gonna be like, oh, this John guy is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, and that's just golf. You're going to have errant shots based on your dispersion. So with something like that, you need to really stick with it and let it, let give it a chance to play out over five or 10 rounds. Um, so while I think I'm giving golfers good information, I, I do realize that it can be toxic if it's consumed all at the same time. And that goes for anything in golf. Um, so I guess my main advice is, is that, you know, take a few concepts um, and kind of work on them separately. You know, if there's a practice concept you want to work on, maybe you want to start understanding where your impact location is on your irons and your driver more. Great. Do that. You know, just experiment with that and see what happens in your, in your practice routine. Um, if you want to try this driver thing out where you're saying like, okay, I'm going to stop hitting irons off the tee for accuracy and try hitting driver more stick with that for a while. So, you know, try one or two things at a time and give them an opportunity to work out versus keeps, you know, do you remember that scene in office space? Did you, did you like that movie? Office space? I don't think I've seen it. Oh, oh dude, come on. All right. <laughs> so there was a scene in the beginning of the movie, which is one of the funniest comedies ever, where the guy was stuck in traffic and he kept changing lanes only to realize that he was not going any further. And I often refer to this like in my articles from time to time is that if you do try and do too many things at once, you are switching lanes in a traffic jam. Like you're not going to arrive to your destination any sooner. It might actually take you longer versus if you just stayed in your lane probably would have gone faster. So um, that would be my one, my big piece of advice is just choose a couple of things at a time because they're much harder to implement on the course, despite sounding very simple in concept. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> I have two last points that I want to ask you. First of all, I know that we've spoken about a bunch of the articles, but was there one that resonated the most with people that you posted on the website? Um, I mean, recently it really was that driver three wood one that really took off. Um, it really got a lot of conversations going and, and people just, um, thinking differently about things in their own game. Um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one of them. Um, just because 
you know, I have yeah. over. What, was it like, about was it about how to properly grip the club? Uh, written by Shaheen. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Well, that one <laughs> that one has been read uh, probably over a hundred thousand times at this point. So kudos to you. Um, uh, but yeah, like that, yeah, that, that was, article you that, wrote. I, I, I was, was just kidding, dude. I was just I was just teasing. No, but, but that's a perfect example of an article that you know you explain to people that there's no one right grip technique for anyone. Right. Um, you know, if you search proper grip technique on Google, you're going to get all these nonsense articles written by people who aren't even golf instructors telling you like, Oh, if you want to hit a draw, grip it strong or vice versa with a weak grip. Right. And it's just not true. Like there's way more nuance to the matchups of the golf swing and, and someone like yourself, that's what you do in your teaching. Um, so articles like those, I just have a bunch of these like nuggets of information where I hope people come to the site and they see it and they're like, Oh, I thought that my whole golf life and it was wrong. <laughs> so I'm just trying to, you know, like I said, point people in the right direction on all these topics. And then, you know, they have to go do the work themselves because I can't do it for them, obviously. Right. Um, well, I appreciate the mini shout, even though I, I had to bring it up, but yeah. 100,000 uh, times it was read. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you put something good out there, people find it, right? I love it. Uh, the last the last thing I wanted to mention was, was there a reason why you broke down your articles so simply as you do, just like physical, mental, and reviews? Because you go to a lot of these golf blogs and there's like a million things going on and so many subcategories and you seem to just very easy, simply generalize them into main groups. I mean, I think any... <sighs> The number one goal I had for the site when I first started it, and I wasn't very good at it in the beginning, I think I'm better now, uh, or getting better at least, is that I think coaching is all about communication. Like if you hear stories about the greatest coaches of all times, like John Wooden or Coach K from Duke or whoever, and you interview all their players and they're like, they just communicated in a way to me that like resonated with me and, and I bought into whatever they were saying. Right. Um, so I think coaching at any level, whether it's someone like yourself explaining to a pupil how to change their swing, what you want them to do, um, or it's someone like me trying to convince someone to play smarter from a strategic level when they play. Um, I have to communicate in, in a way that makes sense to a wide range of golfers. So I do try and be as simple as I can with my writing. I don't think I'm good at it all the time, but that's why you see um, I guess a simple framework of the site. Um, to be fully honest, that will change soon. There's going to be a site redesign. So the four main categories will be practice, mental game, managing expectations, strategy, and then we'll have a section for product reviews. So it's going to grow from three to five categories. <laughs> I, was, I was actually planning on asking you at the end of this, like what your plans were for the website, if there was any big projects in the works. Um, yeah, there's always something. Um, I think. I just want to keep putting good stuff on there that I, I hope connects. I think I'm finding different ways to say the same thing. And I think a lot of welcome to welcome teach. to coaching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's really what it is. Like um, whether you're getting financial advice on how to, you know, be a better financial planner, like it's always the same three or four things, you know, spend less than you make invest in low cost index funds over time. And like, they just find like a thousand different ways to, to convince people the same way. And the reason being is that someone can come to my site and read, you know, 30 different articles and really not be moved by any of them. And then they read one 
And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, this is, you know, this is the one. And then it really does change their game. Um, so there's so many different types of golfers who are reading the site that I guess I'm just trying to find different and better ways to get these concepts across, like that basic framework in those four topics and just explore them differently because um, I just know that like I said, there, there's going to be some people who read an article and they're like, Oh, well, that stunk. I didn't get what I wanted out of it. And then other, uh, a few people may be like, Oh my God, that's, you know, finally I, I found the answer to what was ailing me. So I think that's just my overall goal is to just keep putting good content on there. Um, you know, I'm starting to find different people, voices who can go on there. Like you've been on there before. Um, so that, that's another goal is to get different voices. But, um, another project we started, we have a, if I can give it a quick plug. Yeah, go for it. Um, we have a community or forum on the site now that I launched a few weeks ago and it's off to a great start. It's just a bunch of golfers who are passionate about the topics I discuss and everyone's being, this is a, I know a shocker on the internet, but everyone's being positive and helpful to one another. That doesn't, um, that doesn't exist on social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the anti Twitter. Um, so that, that's something that I launched and I'm, I'm really over the next year, I'd really like to grow it for a community of golfers who, you know, they want to get better at this game and they want to share their experiences with one another. Um, so you can check that out at forum.practical-golf.com or you can just find it on the menu of my site. So that that's a big project that I'm happy I finally launched. Nice, dude. I love it. It's funny because when you mentioned like trying to learn uh, or I guess somebody, you know, the article resonates with one person doesn't so much with the other. And like, you know, that it really is the basis of coaching, right? Is that everyone learns differently. I always relate back to this one picture I saw on the internet. I think it was like 10 years ago. And I, I honestly still think about this to this day, which was, it was a photo of um, like a teacher talking in the middle of the woods and the teacher's talking to like 10 different animals and the teachers <laughs> climb the tree and only the monkey climbs and all the other animals are looking up like, how the hell do I do that? And it's, it's almost like, you know, if you only communicate things in one way and explain it in one way, only one person's going to get it. And so a lot of even like me, when I'm posting stuff on social media is I'm explaining things so differently. Really, I'm saying the same shit over and over to some extent, obviously, but you have to explain it in a different way just because not everybody learns the same. And I, I think that's what's something that you do a really good job of with your website, which is why you're getting so many people and it's been growing. And obviously you started this community now. Yeah, I think like when you posted, I think I texted you maybe a week or two ago about that club face video you posted. Yeah. Um, and that's just something I believe in as a ball striker that I think being able to control where the club face is pointing at impact is, I don't know if it's the Super. number one skill or it's, it's perhaps it's top up there. three yeah, it's skill. Up there. Like I couldn't play golf unless I controlled my club face at impact because, you know, we all have different swing paths and mine's very in to out. And if I couldn't control where that face was pointing at impact, well, then I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be hitting some crazy hooks or some huge blocks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you posted that video, I watched it. I'm like, that is like, I'm like, he just nailed it right there. Um, so, yeah, that that's just the way it works on the Internet. Like you just throw a bunch of shit up on the wall. Sorry for my language. And you see what sticks. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no language police here, dude. You can swear as much as you want. All right. Good. Because usually like it's funny, like it's it's someone in my personal life. I have a horrible, 
horrible potty mouth. I'm using like the, the right term there, but I've been very, uh, I don't think I've, that's probably the first time I've ever cursed on a podcast or any time online. Uh, dude, so you can, that you felt can, good. You can fucking swear as much as you want here, man. No one, care, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> I drop, I drop a lot of F-bombs on the course. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Like it, there's just a lot of like, what the fuck did you just do right there? Well, there you go. So, so we've all, we've all been there. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then, like I said, I try and get over it 20, 30 seconds later, but sometimes I can't control my mouth. Dude, you are the bomb for coming on. That was uh, fun. Yeah, man. A little different, eh, than some other ones? Yeah, no, I I, I, I knew we were going to have a good conversation. I hope people listening to this thought we had a good conversation. We'll see. But um, it's great to talk to you. I know we haven't talked a lot over the last couple of years because you're so busy probably um <laughs> well the last time analyzing. i saw you was at the pga show in yeah 18 19 yeah 18 yeah i think it was i didn't see you last year no so it's been like two years since i've seen you yeah it's been a while sad everyone's busy man that's what it is yeah well dude you are the best i'll uh i'll uh i'll be plugging you along in the, in our intros and stuff too so don't thanks i appreciate it yeah, man, you deserve all the, the credit. Your website's making a lot of people better, and uh, you're not taking away from my work, which is even better. <laughs> Likewise, well, listen, I'm happy to see all your success, too. I'm not, I'm not surprised at all, but um, it's, it's pretty awesome to watch. All right, my man, well, I'll let you get back to uh, growing that community of yours. Okay, all right, thanks. I appreciate you having me on, I really do. Cheers, bro. Okay, bye. Ciao. want to give another thanks to john for joining us this week um, on the podcast it was really generous of him to give us his time um, and to really give us a lot of his insight you know he's spent years compiling all of this information and he pretty much gives it all away for free on the website so you can check him out on practicalgolf.com um, and you can find his book pretty much anywhere online 101 mistakes golfers make and how to fix them so that's john um, and just another reminder we're doing a bunch of giveaways actually this week our partners at Acra Golf uh, and Shaheen have decided to give away one more Acra TZ6 Masters themed wood shaft. Uh, pretty beautiful looking shaft, to be honest, I have to say. So if you're interested in that and you, you want to have a chance to win, just head over to Acra Golf Shafts on Instagram or on Shaheen Golf um, and check out the post and see the details on how to enter. And uh, that's pretty much it. So I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Thanks again to our sponsors of the show, Callaway Golf, Trackman Golf, and Acro Golf Shafts. And don't forget, if you want to hit the ball 20 yards farther with the Super Speed Golf Training System, that can become a reality for you. Join over 700 tour pros by getting your set at superspeedgolf.com. Make sure to use the code SCHEEN, that's S-H-K-E-E-N, to receive 10% off your order.